Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Oh, come on. Let's give it up for Jesus. He is the best. Come on. And you have the nicest pastor. He just says the nicest things. Oh, good. Water in a coffee cup. I love that. Okay. Um, Man, what an honor to get to be here. I've been with you guys as a church. I think this is my fifth time getting to be here. I've been coming ever since the church began with Pastor Rhett and Pastor Linda. And then my last time with you was in transition season uh, from the Bardens now to the Hubbards. And man, I got to tell you, I'm so proud of these two and all the work that God has done over the last 18 months. Can we give it up for your pastors? They're amazing. And gosh, I didn't really know what we were going to do when we heard uh, Pastorette and Linda's, um, you know, feeling of being led into new seasons. I was thinking like, what's going to happen? How's this going to work? And I do remember there was a time where I was uh, speaking at a retreat for another church and Jason and Ellie were there and uh, got to sit with them in some leadership context. And I remember just having this thought in my heart, I really love those two. I wonder if the Lord would do something and wonder if we could connect in any way and just kind of dreaming about them and thinking about them. And um, man, look what the Lord's done. It's been so cool uh, the way that he's connected us and so proud of you and you and your leadership um, here at One Life Church. The church is doing great. It's thriving. Uh, I want to um, ask a question. Can you do this for me? Can you raise your hand if you have come to One Life Church, you're just a part of the church in the last 18 months. You're new here with us in the last 18 months. Can we just look around and say, thank you, Jesus? That's incredible. I want you to know that is amazing. Um, and we, we, we kind of like take things for granted. There's this un- understanding, man, like churches are supposed to grow. We're supposed to make progress. Um, But the sad reality of church in America is most churches are not. Um, It's so common for churches to go a whole year and not see any families added and to see decline and the mission kind of getting off track. And um, I just want you to know God's doing something really, really special in your church. It's amazing. Uh, Like Jason said, I get to be on Zoom calls with the Hubbards quite a bit. And what I hear is just some amazing stuff. It's like, we are working hard. This is the latest challenge. We're working through this, but it's working and it's growing and we're so much farther ahead than we were last year. I don't know if you ever see like the meme on the internet with Anakin Skywalker. It's working! That's kind of how I feel like these guys are right now. It's like they're holding on for dear life and the bolts are like shaking, but they're like, it's working! And uh, man, it's just awesome. And it's so good to get to be here and let you know, like it's working, you guys. You guys are absolutely walking in the blessing of God. And um, what's happening in your church is special. I love the series that we're in, Run With Endurance. And I want to start with Hebrews chapter 12 and kind of kick this message off with this key scripture that you guys have been studying over the last couple weeks. Therefore, we also... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin, which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Man, we need endurance. I love that word endurance. Steadfastness, patience, perseverance. What it means is that even when it hurts, I'm still going to run. Even when I'm tired, I'm still going to keep running. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. Even when other people around me are quitting, I'm not going to let there be any quit inside of me. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep going. Other people are quitting, not me. I'm letting go of the weights. I'm letting go of the sins, which so easily entangle because I have my eyes on the prize and I'm going to run the way in, run the race in such a way that I'm going to obtain the prize. And I was telling the dream team as we were gathering earlier that mobile church, like you guys are doing right now, it requires some endurance. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? Like there's a lot that we're working through, a lot that we're doing, a lot of effort that goes in to setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down. And here we are five years later, setting up and tearing down. And I want you to know that I was part of mobile church for years. Uh, I had it in my heart that we would be ready to do mobile church for 10 years. That's what I was thinking when we moved to Spokane and start the church. It went faster than that. Uh, as God would have it, we ended up in our own building. But we did years of mobile church, setting up and tearing down and setting up and chair down. I remember we, uh, in our context, uh, didn't have an event center that would set up all the chairs and the stage and the lights and the screens. Like we did uh, our services in a public high school, uh, but it wasn't like we got to be in the auditorium because for that high school, that was like their precious jewel of the Nile. And they would never let anybody into the auditorium where there was chairs and stages, and screens, and sound, and like they said, no, you can't get in there, but we will let you pay us thousands of dollars every month to meet in our cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, sweet, I mean, we don't got a building, let's go for the cafeteria. So every single week, setting up and tearing down all the chairs, screen, stage, everything, all the miles of pipe and drape that we would put up like this, it was incredible. And I just remember little kids, you know, third grade, second grade, first grade, they were the chair team. It's like, parents, I need you to carry the heavy things like stages and, you know, big equipment and let your children put up the chairs. And we just had this army of elementary school kids setting up chairs and tearing down. I remember um, people were kind of attracted to the work ethic that went to mobile church and setting up and tearing down. We had the, a family join the church early on, had never been to church in their life. And um, they just thought it was so cool that we were setting up and tearing down in a public high school. And uh, this guy named Matt, you know, we're pushing carts out after the end of one of the services. And he just looks at me with like, I can tell he's getting emotional. And he's just like, I just want to thank you for letting me help with this. And I'm like, bro, thank you for helping with this. And I go, why would you even thank me for letting you push carts of chairs? And he just pulls up his sleeve and he reveals this like tattoo. And it's kind of a dark tattoo. And he goes, cause I have this. And I said, um, I don't care what tattoo you have, bro. You can set up chairs with me every single Sunday. And he starts to cry. He goes, you don't understand. Like, I've never felt welcomed in a church in my life. I've been so ashamed of my past and what I've walked through. And it just feels so good to belong to a family. He's getting emotional. And we're like hugging in the public high schools. We're setting up and tearing down. And it's crazy. I remember one of the, one of the Sundays, um, I, I lived in Boise for 12 years used to minister here, and I realized that it gets cold in Boise. Um, I thought that until I moved to Spokane. 
we're like right up there getting close to Canada and it's always about 10 degrees like colder where we are, which is a little nice in the summer when you guys are baking. Uh, but in the winter, it is terribly freezing. And I knew that going into it, but I didn't experience it until I was setting up and tearing down mobile church in the snow. And gosh, there was one Sunday that it was going to be like negative 15 or 16 degrees. And my father-in-law, Daryl, who's just so faithful on the team for uh, coming up on nine years now, um, loving people and serving and on the dream team. But he used to drive our big old semi-truck every single week. He's like the truck guy, super faithful. And he knew it was going to be negative 15 degrees because I'm a little worried about the truck. All of our stuff's like sitting in the truck in the negative 15 degree weather. So he goes out there to start at like 10 p.m. just to make sure it'll start up again. And the, you know, and we're like, we can't get it to start. The fuel in the fuel line had totally frozen. I saw it. And I'm thinking we have church the next day and everything's in here. What's going to happen? Everyone's coming. And he just rallies this group of older guys and they kind of build this shelter around the truck. And one guy pulls out uh, one of those blow torches that you use to fire up the fields, you know, to kind of control the weeds or whatever, propane tank and blow torch. And he just starts torching the concrete. And I'm like, we're going to blow our truck up. This is going to go up in a fireball. What are we doing? And he just cooked the concrete, and then the heat from the concrete melted the gas in the fuel lines, and it started up in time for church. They were out there for three, four, five hours just trying to get it heated up so we could have church, and I was thanking Jesus. I was so happy we had to get to have church that day. It took some endurance. It took a whole lot of effort and push through. And although there's obstacles, I'm not going to let that put a quit in my spirit. God, I got to keep going. It takes endurance, a lot of physical effort. Um, and you might be thinking, Lord, we've been doing this five years. When are you going to give us a building? Lord, I want you to know that your pastors and your elders, we are praying for a permanent home for this church. We are. We're believing. We're contending. We're looking around. Jason and Ellie are spending time looking at all of the options and getting that before us as elders. We're praying about that. But I want to just sow a thought in the meantime, as we're here in the set up tear down days, I want to sow a thought to you that we should consider today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. And if you're not taking notes, just to write this down. Here's the thought. The harvest is a lot of work. We got need of endurance because the harvest is a lot of work. Now, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was a city boy, and then my family moved to Bend, Oregon, and my dad was always in computers and technology, and I didn't know anything about harvest. And then I moved to Southern Idaho, here to Nampa, and I went to work for a pastor who had lots of farmers in the church. And I didn't know anything about farming. I didn't know anything about agriculture. I knew about computers. I might have played like a Facebook game about farming or something, but I didn't actually know what farming was like. And I remember I was a idealistic young youth pastor and I'd get so mad if anybody ever skipped church or had to cancel on the worship team or missed for any reason. I'd be like, these people are unfaithful. They don't love God. They're idolatrous and they're putting other things before God. And pastor, he looked at me, he said, you just need to stop your mouth right there. This is harvest season. And in the harvest season, we harvest from sunup to sundown seven days a week. And what I want you to do is actually take some recordings of the church service and drive it out to the farmers and give it to them so they can listen to it while they're harvesting. But you just got to understand when harvest season comes, it's time to harvest. And they work so hard. 
They work sun up to sundown and sun up to sundown and sun up to sundown. And I learned, I was like, okay, man, this is crazy. There's a lot of work that goes into this harvesting stuff around here in Southern Idaho. And I started to notice a dichotomy between the work that I would notice in the life of a farmer and the way that we typically talked about harvest in the church. You ever notice this? If you talk about harvest in the church, we're like, man, I just want you to know, it's usually in like offering moments like we just, Jason just did. If you sow, you will also reap and be faithful in your sowing and there is a harvest. And people are like, harvest! <laughs> like if I called someone out of the crowd right now, Lord has a prophetic word for you. We are so glad you're here in the name of Jesus. God says, your harvest season is upon you. You would just be like, yes, Lord my harvest season. And what you kind of think is the Lord's going to give me a lot of money. It's my harvest season. All those things I've been sowing, they're coming to harvest. Like that's what we think. And I just need to like fully reframe this for you. When God says it's harvest season, remember harvest is a lot of work. It's not like sit back and reap the compound interest in the bank account and do nothing. It's like get out and work in the fields. We sowed seed and we waited and we watered and we fertilized and the plants came up and now comes the fun time, but the extraordinary effort of going out into the fields and harvesting what has grown. And as of right now, I just want you to know, if you haven't noticed, this is part of the reason why I had a whole bunch of you raise your hands at the beginning and say, hey, if you're new to the church, um, One Life Church is in a season of harvest. I'm so excited about the growth that we're seeing here in this church. It's awesome. Again, this isn't super common everywhere, but I will tell you there's a bunch of churches that are experiencing things like this across our nation. A lot of increase right now. COVID had the nation in all kinds of disarray and displacement. Uh, One in three people left their church during 2020. And so many of them never found another church. Uh, A lot of them have been become de-churched. People moving to other states. Lots of them moving to Idaho. uh, Just disconnected and wandering and looking for a church. They say right now, the latest statistics say that there's about 40 million people in America that went from churched to de-churched just recently. And that's, that's more than has ever happened in the history of the nation. It's more than the people that have ever gone to a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, it's just like, you just think about all the efforts that we did over the past 50 years to bring people in the house of God. 40 million people are without a church home. And what's crazy is they've done all of this research and they found that more than half of those 40 million people are wanting to come back to church and just need an invite. There's this somebody to invite me. I want to find a home church, but I was in Washington and I moved to Idaho during COVID or I was living in California or somewhere else. And, you know, I just, I found myself here and I just, I want my home church and God moved me into a new direction, but I haven't felt connected. I haven't felt the right one. And I just want you to know there is a harvest waiting for us. There are people wanting to come back, not to mention the millions upon millions of people that haven't been a part of church ever, and they are open. They're getting sick of, can I just be honest, they're getting sick of the false narrative that the secular news media constantly 
paints about how the church is dying and there's no truth in that and what God has for us in the, or what, what we're, we should do is pursue the secular utopia. That secular narrative is becoming something that the world is distrusting and they're swinging back to the plate of maybe there's a bigger idea. Maybe there is a God. Maybe he has a plan for my life. Maybe I should investigate church again. And I just want you to know it's harvest season. And luckily, we know someone who's well acquainted with harvest. His name is Jesus. I want to read you a very familiar passage of scripture. We see it show up several times in different gospels. I want to read from Matthew chapter 9. And this is what Jesus says about harvest. Very short um, set of verses here. Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I want you to notice that Jesus was outward focused. He could have just decided to let everybody come to him, but he didn't do that. Instead, he went out to them, to all of their towns and their villages. He preached in their churches. He began to teach them to know God and find freedom. Two things that we talk about a lot here at One Life Church, teaching them to know the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. This is the way we say it. Know God, find freedom. Verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, bullied, tormented, oppressed, helpless. He knew they couldn't defend themselves. They're like sheep. Sheep can't defend themselves. I was growing up, uh, my dad had a little bit of acreage and we had some sheep on the land and my buddies and I in junior high would go out and wrestle the sheep. <laughs> go chase them down and whatever we could, is just the best. And uh, they, I just knew it wasn't gonna be that bad because, you know, they don't got a lot going on. <laughs> we had some cows, I never went out and chased the cows. <laughs> some horses, I didn't go out and chase the horses, but those sheep, I chased those sheep. Sheep are defenseless. They got nothing. They might bite a little bit, but they're just so vulnerable. And Jesus looks out on the crowd and he sees the torment of the enemy and the oppression and all the brokenness and the sin and the weight that they're under. And he says, I have compassion on the crowd for a lot of like sheep that are defenseless. They're hopeless against them. And then he says to his disciples, kind of changes the metaphor. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into his harvest field. And Jesus knew the truth that every farmer faces is that harvest spoils. So he says, the harvest is plentiful. It's overwhelmingly large. There's so much harvest coming off the trees or out of the ground. There's so much taking place, but... There's not enough workers to collect the harvest. So you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, workers into the harvest field. Right now at our house, we uh, don't live on a farm. Uh, we just have a cute little house in a subdivision like there's lots of here in the Treasure Valley. And um, we have, 
you know, whatever quarter acre backyard, but we have two apple trees and um, we had one apple tree for a long time and I was hoping to make the apples good. So I planted another apple tree and it grew up for a couple years. And then my son ran over it playing football in the backyard. So I had to pull it out and plant another one. So we've been in Spokane like nine years. I'm finally getting a second apple tree that can cross pollinate and make some good apples. In fact, just this year, I tasted one from the first apple tree and it tasted good. I was like, dang, it's happening. But man, every year of living there so far, that one apple tree would just produce nasty apples because it wasn't cross pollinated. And uh, every year it would dump those apples, you know, on the ground. And I had a chore that my kids had to go out and pick up the apples, but sometimes they would not pick them up because they're teenagers. I go out there to mow the lawn or whatever, and just the nastiest, grossest apples mush. And then I'd be like, David, come pick up the apples. I hate picking up the apples. They're so gross. I know. That's why I have you do it. That's why I have teenagers. There's a moment when it's time to harvest, and it's now or never. And if we don't harvest now, the harvest spoils and it goes bad. It's a window. And there's moments in the lives of people where it's a now or never moment and their hearts are open and the spirit is drawing them and they can make a choice to get connected to spiritual family, just like one life. It's a harvest moment. And oftentimes in Jesus' day, the farmers that owned the fields, they knew it was time to harvest, but there was gonna be more harvest than they could possibly collect. So the only option was for them to hire outside laborers. Come in and help me pick up the harvest. If we don't pick it up, it's gonna spoil. I need help, come alongside. And they didn't need farmers. They didn't need people with degrees in agriculture. They didn't need to be trained in the specific types of crops and when to sow and how much to water and how to deal with all the irrigation. They didn't need any of that. They just needed any regular old person with two hands or even one hand. I just need you to bend down and pick up the harvest and put it in the bucket. You didn't have to go to college. You didn't have to get trained. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to be a part of my family. You could be anybody. Just help me pick up the harvest. I need a laborer. If you go into the original Greek language, this is the word laborer and what it means. Regular, ordinary laborer. Worker. Unskilled. (laughs) Not special. A laborer was simply a worker, someone who just came alongside to help with harvest. In his teaching, Jesus is declaring there is not a harvest problem. And what I think is amazing is some churches act like there is a harvest problem. I think they believe all that the secular news media continually puts out about the church and all decline. No one wants to go to church. And so churches over time are just like, oh, nobody wants to come here anymore. Let's just focus on ourselves. Let's sing our same old songs and say our same old things and we'll stop even thinking about the rest of the world. We'll just focus inward and no one will ever come. I know, I remember uh, nine years ago when we moved to Spokane, 
Um, one of the things that we did, we started our church in January and we moved in June. And uh, Kyle, Pastor Kyle and his family and several other families that moved with us, uh, we visited like 30 churches in Spokane from the time we moved to the time we started our church, just to kind of get the lay of the land, see what was out there in, in Spokane and how churches were doing. Also to learn a lot of lessons because we were about to start our own church. So we're like, let's just go be a visitor for 30 weeks in a row. And what what I learned is that so many churches were not expecting visitors. And you know what I learned? This is a kid's check-in. I'd walk up to the kid's check-in station, and which, by the way, you do this 30 weeks in a row, and it gives you a lot of compassion for people that are church shopping, trying to find a church. Every time someone comes to Sunset City Church, like, we've been looking for a church. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's terrible. <laughs> 30 weeks in a row, we go to check our kids in. Hey, we're first timers here at your church. We'd like to check in. Our, they were really little at that time. Check in our little kids, kids check in. And like out of 30 churches we visited, probably 26 churches were like, oh no. I'm like, oh no. They're like, we haven't checked in a new kid. I gotta, I gotta go find Phyllis. Hold on. And I would, I'd be standing there like, Okay. The first time that happened, I was like, oh, okay. You know, then it happened again and again and again and again. No kids check-in worker knew how to check in a new family because maybe there hadn't been a new family in a long time. And I just, there's something that rose up inside of me. Number one, we are going to train our kids check-in workers. (laughs) But number two, We're going to build a church that keeps its eyes on the harvest. It's harvest season. There's more for us. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. There's not a harvest problem. There's more harvest than we can ever collect. I'm not talking about fruit on trees that are, you know, not ripe and not ready to be picked. I'm talking about the fruit that is ripe and ready to fall off the tree. There's not even enough laborers to collect those kind of folks that are coming into the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus says we got to multiply laborers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust laborers into the harvest field. We need more small group leaders. We need more dream team members so we can launch more services and churches and locations. Man, we need people to get into the fields and help people come into the kingdom of God. Sometimes when we're in mobile years like this, five years in, pastor, I am exhausted, so tired being on this worship team, so tired of greeting and so tired of kids ministry. I'm tired of set up and tear down. I've been doing this for five years. I'm tired. I want to remind us that when we're exhausted from mobile church, that the alternative is letting the harvest spoil. We just got to sit with it. Jason and Ellie didn't ask me to say this. In fact, I'm going to fly home tonight and tell this to my own congregation. The alternative to continuing to run with endurance the race is letting that harvest fall off the tree like my apples in my backyard and begin to spoil and miss out on the window of time that that person was open and ready to enter into the kingdom. I do want to say that the answer for Jesus wasn't, well, tell the farmers to work harder. Jesus wasn't like, they just need to keep every single week no matter what. Just keep, keep farming. Jesus was like, no, we need more laborers. 
Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest field. And what I think is so beautiful is oftentimes as we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, oftentimes we become the answer to our own prayers. So sometimes we pray and we're already laborers and God sends more people. Sometimes we pray we're not even laborers and God allows us to become a laborer in the harvest field. It's beautiful. And what I want to wrap up with, we have a few more minutes, is I just want to give you the portrait of a laborer. What does it look like to be a laborer in the harvest field? We're in harvest season. Many people want to come in to the kingdom of God. So how do I know that I'm a laborer? What should I, what characteristics should I carry as a laborer in the harvest field? You guys with me? Number one, if you are a laborer in the harvest field, we're asking you, love God. Prerequisite. Let me just make this simple statement that's actually kind of profound. We labor because we love Jesus. I've been doing ministry full-time now for 20 years, and I found a lot of people that labor for other reasons. They labor because they like community and want friends. They labor because they want to be seen and special and someone to notice their gift. They labor because they have an approval um, drift in their heart that wants the pastor to see them and acknowledge them. And like, man, if he'll just notice me, it'll fill that father wound because my dad left. And uh, You know, like there's just, there's a whole bunch of reasons that people labor. Can I just ask you to set all of those things aside? And labor first and foremost, first priority, you labor because you love Jesus. Jesus, you saved me, you redeemed me, you washed me clean, you made me do, you welcomed me into your family, you adopted me as a son and daughter of your house. And Lord, I will serve you every day of my life because I love you. I love you. Matthew 22, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's of first importance, loving God, absolute commitment to his presence and his person. And I do want you to know that burnout in serving, burnout when it comes to church, burnout in Christianity, it almost always stems back to laboring from a different motive. If I'm laboring, I'm serving, I'm here, I'm making things happen. And internally I'm thinking, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. I remember how you died for me. I'm so conscious of how you've forgiven me. I used to be lost in sin, but now I've been found and welcomed into this eternal family. This is the best. Before you know it, you are a happy laborer. You're like, this is the best, man. Setting on pipe and drape is nothing. Another day playing guitar ain't no thing. Jesus saved me from my sin and hopelessly being lost. If while you're laboring, instead you're thinking, I hope I make my leaders happy. I wonder if I'm doing good enough. I wonder if people like me. I'm probably probably the best greeter around this place. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, I've been doing this a while. We think a lot of things when we're laboring. Get involved, have a lot of thoughts. And before you know it, if you're thinking a lot of other things other than, I love Jesus. I'm just so thankful for Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. If we're letting our mind drift, before you know it, you will begin to experience burnout. You will. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse one. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So give yourself entirely. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. But what I love the little phrase that oftentimes we forget is in view of God's mercy. Meaning, in light of everything he did for you, in light of his perfect life, perfect death, victorious resurrection, in light of all the blood that he shed for you on the cross, then go ahead and offer yourself to him holy and acceptable. This is what worship looks like. That worship is service. It means like how we serve God, how we love God. It actually all has to start with the view of God's mercy. In light of everything he did, therefore offer yourself. He goes on in the chapter, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Keep up your spiritual fervor. How do we know you're keeping up your spiritual fervor? By serving the Lord. It's what we need from every single member of one life. We're in harvest season. And this is what we need you from you the most. What we need from you more than anything is we need you to love God. Love him. We need it more than your hands, more than your musical abilities, more than your truck that you pull stuff with. Like whatever you guys do around here, more than any of that, we need you to love God. Love God. If you're passionate for God, everyone else is going to come in here for the first time. The harvest will be welcomed in and they're going to go like, man, these people love God. I think I should love God. Yeah, you should love God. Yes. It's the one thing that we want from you to rub off on other people as they join. Love for God. So like, if you're going to be a laborer, number one, love God. Here's number two, love people. Love people. Jesus goes on in Matthew 22, verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we get the first one right, it automatically flows into the second one. That's why Jesus says the first commandment is this, and the second one's basically the same. It's kind of one commandment. It all flows together. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God, we will love what he loves. And God loves his lost sons and daughters. He loves them. He's thinking about them. He's doting on them. I just want you to think of the story in Luke chapter 15. If you've been around church, you might know the story of the prodigal son who goes out and takes his father's inheritance and spends it on wild living. And then the the older brother has stayed and worked in the fields and taken some ownership and management. He's carried the responsibility. And the younger brother comes home after coming to his senses and goes and throws himself at his father's feet. And father, forgive me. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Take me in as a hired servant. And the older brother comes in from the field. Are we gonna just waste all of this resource to kill the fatted calf and this this joker who went and spent all the family money and wild living. I mean, he should have known better. He should have never done that. And I to always pray all the time, Lord, don't let me have an older brother attitude. Gosh, don't let us build a church that's just kind of, those lost people deserve it. Yeah, they knew what they were getting. So I want, I want to be so deeply connected to the heart of the father who ran to meet his lost son. Notice the old man, the father runs out and burns some calories. <laughs> Works up a little sweat. Sounds a bit like mobile church, Pastor Jason. Come on. I, I love that the scripture that we read at the beginning 
says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. It doesn't say that Jesus had compassion on the one lady who had this really broken story and her father had left her. And now he didn't have compassion on the orphan with the really big eyes that moves your hearts. And it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. I think crowds are harder to have compassion on. You ever go to Disneyland or... I hate crowds. Crowds are kind of annoying. It's hard to find my parking spot. Had to wait in this long line. Even when it comes to church, crowds are kind of frustrating. It's like, man, it's hard to find my seat. Park farther away. Had to wait in a really long line and kids check in. Things are not as fast and productive. Jesus looks at the crowd. He's deeply moved in his heart. He sees them all like sheep without a shepherd. I love scripture says he's the God who leaves the 99 to save the one that is is lost, to go after the one. We preach those sermons too. But in this scripture, he's like for the 99 and the one. He's having compassion on the whole crowd. And you got to see the crowd for what it is. It's a group of people with individual stories. Every one of them matters to God. Aren't you so thankful that he picked you out of the crowd, called you and maybe your spouse or your kids welcomed you into a family because he cares not only about the crowd, he cares about the one, but he doesn't only care about the one, he cares about the crowd. We need you, One Life Church, in the midst of the crowd to show up as a laborer, somebody that loves God and somebody that loves people. Ministry is not about tasks. It's about worshiping God and loving people. So as I'm pushing the pipe and drape card and putting things away, I'm loving God and I'm loving that person that I'm working with. I'm stepping up to lead worship again after so many years. Come on, I'm not only loving God, I'm loving people and I'm having compassion on the crowd the way that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. You might think, well, we're not really a crowd yet. It's harvest season. This is what happens as we love God and love people. God continues to find laborers in the harvest and entrust them with harvest. A couple more minutes. Here's the third one is love the house. Love the house. Love God. Love people. Love the house. Psalm chapter 26, verse 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And I truly believe this with all of my heart that everybody deserves to attend a church that they love with everything inside of them. I think if, uh, they might be mad at me for saying this, but if you just, if you don't love one life, maybe there's another church that you're supposed to love. But really what we're trying to build here is a people that love God and love each other and love his church. Jesus loved his church so much that he gave his life for it. He bled out and died on the cross to raise up a church. This is what he loves. And when you love your church, man, you are contagious. People will love what you love. God will send you out as a laborer into the harvest field at your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the gym. And they'll be like, what are you doing this Sunday? I get to go to church. Nobody has that kind of face. Doesn't, doesn't church make you have this face? I don't know what churches that you go to or you grew up going to, but not my church. Here at One Life Church, it takes us into this face. 
when Jason gets up here to welcome and do announcements, he's just such a happy guy. I'm like, man, I love being a part of this church. It's the best. And when you love your church, people will want to love what you love. It's hard to labor in the harvest if you don't love the house because the house is the place that stores the harvest. There are all kinds of friends that are like hyper evangelists or whatever. Um, and they're always like, man, yeah, this last week was so crazy. I led 16 people to the Lord. And outside, I'm like, that's awesome. Inside, I'm like, where are they? <laughs> Do you ever have these conversations? I got a lot of friends like this. Yeah, it was just incredible. I led 25 people to the Lord the last month. It's amazing. I'm like, Well, where are they? Did you leave them to the Lord and then just leave them out there? Undiscipled? Like no family, no connection? Like a good luck, buddy? Like maybe. And better to do that than nothing. So I'm not trying to be too critical, but I do want to say that the way that God designed it was for the harvest to be brought into the house and matured and raised up and discipled and equipped and released. We're here to help people know God, find freedom, and discover their purpose and make a difference. There's more than just that no God piece. It's wonderful, but there's a full range of wonderful plans that God has for every single person. And it starts with connection and planting and rootedness in the house of God. When you love your church, you're contagious. People will love what you love. If you let things build up in your heart and they let you kind of get annoyed and irritated, I just want you to know you won't be an effective laborer. So you got to protect your love for the house all the time. Psalm chapter 122, verse one. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I spent way too many years of my life mad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. My parents are like, get in the car. We're going to church again. Oh, I was sad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was bored when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not anymore. Jesus, save me. Fill me with this Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed and forgiven and sanctified. I'm so glad to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm so glad to be a part of a church that is life-giving. And I don't know how you feel, but I love, I love church. I love the vision. And you just got to let this swell up in your heart. I love the vision of our church. I love the values of our church. I love the mission of our church. I love the leaders in our church. I love what we're up to. I love what we're planning. Like this is the best, not because, um, your church or your leaders need more of your love, but because we want you to be laborers in the harvest field who love God and loving God and loving church go hand in hand. It's really hard to keep loving God in the long run if you don't love church. It's like trying to love me and not love my wife, Jamie. If you were like, we're, we gotta be best friends, Pastor Dame. Like, okay, you wanna come over and meet my wife? No, I just don't like her. She says mean things. It's kind of, uh, but you, I really like you. Can we be friends? I'd be like, no, I don't like you because you don't like my wife. And God feels this way about his church. He loves his church. They go hand in hand. Okay, I got to keep going. Wrapping up. Oh, 11.15. Number four, pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. We're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to love the house. Number four, we're going to pursue excellence. So we don't, around here, we don't pursue perfection. We do pursue excellence. We're going to make it great. Why? For the harvest. 
for lost people, people that experience a certain level of excellence that feels like, man, they thought about me, they cared for me. What they feel inside is they feel comfortable and loved. And it causes people to move into the place where they most easily receive the gospel. This is why we work hard and do worship guides and great sound and great children's ministry and set up pipe and drape. We go to all of this extra work. Imagine going to a dentist's office that you looked around, you're like, this isn't very excellent. (laughs) Things are dirty around here and they're wearing sweatpants and... I'll be getting out of that dentist's office right away. The dentist's office is already scary and they have to work hard to be excellent to give you this feeling of comfort. Like I'm gonna let them in my mouth. You know, like. It's like, it's what we're doing with church. We're making it great and excellent. So people are like, okay, I'm gonna let them into my heart. It's big. God's going to get my best. People are going to get my best. I can't be perfect, but I can make it great. Colossians chapter three, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. Last one is choose joy. Portrait of a labor, choose joy. John chapter four, verse 36. The fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Next sentence. What joy? awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. It's the best. If church is getting a little boring, invite an unchurched person to join you for church and see how exciting it gets. You'd be like, man, these worship people better not screw this up. My lost friend is sitting here with me. Jason, don't say anything stupid. You will not be falling asleep. You'll be like, okay, come on, Holy Spirit. (gasps) But then you'll be so full of joy as you get to the end of the service. And he goes, okay, let's everybody just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you want to take a moment right now, you want to dedicate your life to Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand and then you sneak one eye open. You peek. The joy that will fill your heart. It'd be the best service that you ever attended all year long. You'll be like, man, I got to keep doing this. It's the greatest. Make laboring a joy together, One Life Church. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy is a church. Make it a joy to serve and set up and tear down. Make it a joy as you work together for long hours. It makes everything so much fun. When we were doing mobile church, set up and down around the high school, we'd tear it all down at the end after we fed people lunch and cared for everything. And then we would do races. We would put all of our gear into the rolly carts and like little kids would sit on top of the carts and we would race down the hallway laughing and music and just make it fun, fill it with joy. Joy is contagious. It's like, yeah, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I I was reading this, just my own private devotions last couple weeks, and I did a little research. Grumbling is internal complaining. Disputing is external complaining. So Paul's like, listen, I don't want you to complain to yourself, and I don't want you to complain to anybody else. Don't do it internally. Don't do it externally. Don't do it. That 
You may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is what your joy does. Not gonna complain, not gonna get grumbly, tired, negative, irritated, annoying. I'm gonna love God. I'm gonna love people. I'm gonna love my church. I'm gonna pursue making it great. I'm gonna pursue excellence. And I'm going to choose joy every single day. Can you do this with me? Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. I love you so much. Love getting to be here with you. Man, maybe you're here. And even as I'm talking, you just realize that you need that encounter with God that we were talking about. You're like, Pastor, church hasn't been fun for me or interesting for me. It doesn't even seem to make sense to me. And today I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want this all to make sense. I want to be forgiven and adopted and welcomed into the family that you're talking about. I, I want that. I don't want to live my life apart from him. I want him in my life. Maybe you used to follow Jesus. You made a decision like that in the past. But for whatever reason, life went crazy or maybe you got hurt. You've kind of wandered away and done your own thing. And today you're just ready to say, Pastor, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to come to my life and renew everything. If that's you, I just want to ask you to do something bold. When I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and I won't call you out or embarrass you. I just want to include you in the prayer. I'm about to pray. So if that's you, He's like, Pastor, for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Come on, let's lift him up. Amen. Come on. So proud of you. It's awesome. Anybody else? Just need to give my life to Jesus. Come on, it's awesome. Let's put our hands down. Let's pray this prayer all together. I just want everyone to pray it. And if you lifted your hand, you just mean this with everything inside of you. I believe God does miracles and moments just like this. Let's pray this. Father God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus, who came to earth, lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sin. And right now I confess all of my sin before you. I ask you to wash me clean and make me new in you. God, I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could live a life that pleases you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, can we just celebrate with those that made that decision today? Come on, we're so proud of you. Best decision you could make in your life. And I just want to pray one more quick prayer. If you're here and you just would say, hey, Pastor Danny, I want a fresh and a new to be a laborer in God's field. I recognize it's harvest season. And I'm thankful for all we've walked through. Maybe I've walked through seasons of burnout. I've been exhausted, but I want the renewing of the Holy Spirit to be a laborer in the harvest field. I want to be someone who loves God and loves people and loves the house and pursues excellence, chooses joy. I want to labor like Jesus says, as a laborer in the field. Could you do something bold really quick? I'm going to pray a 30 second prayer, but just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want to be a laborer. I want to be a laborer. I want to be a laborer. I want to be someone that works in God's field. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to be a laborer. Come on, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you see this church. Lord, thank you for every single one of them. Thank you for all the people, God, standing, all the people that are not, trying to figure it out, wondering, asking questions. It's totally fine. But God, right now, I'm asking 
for the grace, the anointing of a labor to come upon your people. Lord, you're not looking for anything unusual, super special, crazy training. They have to be a certain person. Like you just need people, ordinary people, just like, just like every one of these wonderful individuals. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would help us be laborers. Lord, for the lost people that are around us, help us be winsome. Help us be evangelists. Help us be those that give a defense for the reason that's that, that hope that's inside of us. Thank you, Lord, that you would help us love people well. And God, our joy would be contagious. And God, more than any of it, God, we do it for you. We love you. Lord, let our love for you go to new places. God, new heights. God, as we worship you and we follow you all the days of our life, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Hey, can we give Jesus a hand? Let's thank him.